Boy, I'm excited to get into the Word tonight to show you what God's Word has already made clear. And let's go to 1 John chapter 5. We're going to dive right in. We are in the 15th installment of our series, 1 John Explained. want to welcome all of those who are on the live stream, on Facebook, Sermon Audio, the Calvary website, and also YouTube. Make sure you drop a comment where you're watching from. Maybe share your testimony of how you got saved or how this ministry has been an encouragement to you. I think that would be a blessing. We're going to go just the first five verses here tonight, and the goal really is to, you know, break each verse down and see what is established. But what I first want you to notice is there's a circle that's drawn from verse 1 all the way to verse 5 and then back to verse 1. And John is going to start with a statement, and then he's going to end with a question. And it's supposed to wrap everything up into a nice package. And I want you to remember, as you are studying your Bible, the verses, the chapters, even the punctuation to an extent, these things are added later by the translators in order to have a better reading of the Scripture. I think it's great if you invest in a paragraph Bible, and that'll cost you zero dollars if you go on the internet and type in paragraph King James Bible. It kind of removes the chapter headings, it removes the verses, and you can read as the letter was delivered. And there's nothing really unique or powerful in that, but it's a, it's a good tool to kind of pull yourself out of all the work that's going on here with the verses and the chapter headings. And if you have a study Bible, you've got a column right down the middle with all these little letters and little numbers and notes. Sometimes it's nice in your devotional practice to just read the Word of God uninhibited. But as we're getting into the last few parts here in this last chapter, this last division, John is completing a thought on what brotherly love looks like. What do we, how do we know what love is? Well, we see Jesus Christ. We see the offering of his body. We see the shedding of his blood. We see God's unconditional offer of eternal life to anybody. And we see from 1 John 2, 2, that um, Jesus Christ's sin was not only sufficient for those who would believe, but for those um, who have not yet believed or probably may never believe. Christ's offering is to all. That's what love is. That's how we see what love is. But you're going to see one of the clearest statements on how to be a Christian here in verse 1. Let's look at it. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone that loveth him that begat loveth him also that is begotten of him. There's no clear statement from John about how a person is to be saved. There are passages like the Gospel of John, chapter 20 and verse 31, that come to mind, but essentially it is the same thing that we see here in 1 John 5. I do want you to look at that, though, so hold your spot here in 1 John and go over to your left to the Gospel of John, and I want you to go to chapter 20 and in verse 31. The Gospel of John, chapter 20. When you get there, go down to verse 31. It's on page 1144 in a church loan Bible or a Schofield Bible. Rewind just a little bit and go there to verse 30. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. You know, I think that's so marvelous to think of when you read how Jesus went to Capernaum and how Jesus went to Galilee and Nazareth and all these different places and he, he performed miracles. How many? How many days did he spend there? performing miracles, healing the sick, giving uh, sight to the blind, giving the ability to walk to those who are lame. But all the ones that we need to know about are already given to us. 
We have them here in God's completed word. But verse 31 says, but these are written, the ones that we do have. What, are they, what, what, what is the testimony of these works, of these historical accounts of Jesus, that ye might believe? Believe what? That Jesus is the Christ. Confession of Jesus as the Christ is to say that you are coming to an agreement that Jesus is the anointed one who is going to be the substitutionary sacrifice for the payment of all sin. This is faith in Christ. Although it does not say that, it is echoed throughout the entire New Testament. We saw several places in the Bible this morning. Romans 3, Titus chapter 3, Ephesians 2, uh, Romans 5. We looked in several places throughout the Scripture where it talks about faith alone in Christ alone is what merits eternal life. But what, is, what, what John is saying here as he is finishing his view of Christ, he's saying that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. Everything that was just said here in verse 31 is expounded upon in 1 John 5. But if you go back to 1 John 5, you can let John go and go back to 1 John 5. You see the statement, whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Now I want you to turn just one page over there to 1 John 3, 9. And notice what is said there. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 9. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. For his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin, because he is born of God. This is our eternal security given to us. The new nature that you have, it cannot commit not one single act of sin. Our old man practices and commits sin daily, but that old man will die. The version of yourself right now, all the sin that you carry, all the past experiences that haunt you, and all these different things that, that are a part of your existence right now, the sinful part, it'll be gone one day. And we struggle with it here, and we have to learn to deny the lust of our flesh and to walk in the Spirit. But isn't it great to know that whosoever is born of God, you, uh, his seed remains in you? You can't take it out. He's not going to take it out. John 10, 28, and I give unto them, eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Romans 8, neither height nor depth nor any other creature, and there's a whole bunch of other things in there, should be able to separate us from the love of God, which is found in Christ Jesus our Lord. You walked into here tonight eternally secure, whether you felt that way or not. This is a promise of something that God has already done in your life. And how does that happen? What's the qualifier for a person to be described in that way? Believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. John said that. And of course, John said his role, he was going to decrease so that the Lord would increase. But John the Baptist, he went before. He went before and he told about the coming Messiah. The people were looking, but they didn't think it was Jesus. But it says at the end of this verse here, back there in 1 John chapter 5, and everyone that loveth him that begat loveth him also that is begotten of him. What? That kind of sounds weird. And understand it this way. Those who are born into the family of God and love him should also be loved by us. And this is what I wrote in my notes for, for this portion. All those who are a part of the faith, granted they must meet the requirements of faith in Christ, are also a part of the family. 
we must treat them as such. Social media abounds nowadays, and one of the sweeter sides of social media is, you know, seeing family members reunite. I'm an emotional person, so it doesn't take much for the waterworks to start. But I'm always moved. <laughs> I'm always moved when I see brothers and sisters reunited and they haven't seen each other in years. Fathers seeing their children after they've been on deployment or just been in college or have studied abroad. Whatever it is. But there is a bond that I, all of you who have had children, you, you understand this. There's a way that you love your kids that you didn't know what it was before you had them. And it's, it's indescribable. I think it's how God loves us. But that's what makes family, family. We are, we're, we're born into this family together. Most of my family has died. But the ones that I do have, I cherish them. And I don't see them very often. Just the nature of the way we live our lives. But I make sure we spend time together. I'm thankful for my uncle. He's back there teaching Awana. He led me to Christ 20-something years ago. Sat me down at the dining room table and explained to me what I already knew in that I was a sinner. <laughs> Introduced some new concepts to me about faith in Christ alone being sufficient for eternal life. And he didn't lead me in a prayer. He didn't ask me to stop committing sin. He just said, would I believe on Jesus for the payment of my sin? I said, yes. And that was a statement of what I believed. My dad, I love my dad. I, 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 I can't imagine what my dad went through losing my mom. I, I think they got married in 88, and I was born in 90, and she died in 98. I cannot imagine the burden my father carried. I just don't. I hope I never understand that. But he recently just got remarried. They're happily married, living right over here on Mornay Drive. <laughs> I love it. Love my dad. Love my brothers. I'm so glad that they're all saved. They're not all walking with the Lord, but I still love them. And even though I wish they were living a little bit differently, I still love my family. I should not be hard and callous towards them. They're a part of the family of God. You ever seen a dysfunctional family? Maybe you've been a part of one. Sometimes when we hear dysfunctional, it's like a humorous thing. It's a sad thing. When a family falls apart, that's a sad thing. And aside from all the jokes and people try to cover it up with humor or whatever it is, at the end of the day, you didn't look at that family and think, I can't wait for this to be dysfunctional. No one wants that. Sin comes in, it, it causes destruction. And the next thing you know, people aren't talking to one another. They're slanderous. They're like vipers. You ever seen how quick a snake bites? It's so fast. They move very quickly, and then they lunge forward. The next thing you know, you're going, I've gotten bit. Didn't even know it. That's how we can act towards people in our family. We're almost waiting to coil back and swoom, just say a sharp word, bring up something to just destroy the fellowship and and reopen the wounds. We shouldn't treat each other that way in the body of Christ. If, if you know somebody who's put faith in Christ and they're out there in sin, you should love them to the point where you bring them back to truth. That doesn't mean you tolerate what they do, but you should be ready and willing to forgive them should they seek that forgiveness. That's one of the marks against the church is that they're unforgiving there. There should be no set of circumstances to where a believer could not come back into fellowship. Now, while they're in a sin, 
and they're not walking with the Lord, there are, there are certain privileges that they lose. They're never outside of the family. They're never beyond the reach of God's love. So why should we cast them out and not love them anymore? That's what John is talking about here. And everyone that loveth him that begat, loveth him also that is begotten of him. If I love God, then I need to love you. That's not being said enough in churches today. Oh, wow, we love each other because we all think the same way. That's not true. That shouldn't be the reason. Why should you love me? Because I've put my faith in Christ. And I should love you because you've put your faith in Christ. And the, the, the more we want to obey God, the more our love will be evident towards one another. And people will take advantage of that love. Yes, they will. And, and folks, I got to tell you, we're in a fallen world. Jesus knew this. He said, they hated me. They're going to hate you. Be ready for that and love them anyway. I'm going to give you a couple of things here. I think it's six. One, two, three, four. No, I'm going to give you five points about how we should treat one another. First of all, we should pick each other up when we fall. Look in Galatians chapter 6. Hold your spot in 1 John. Go to Galatians chapter 6. I'm going to share something with you tonight that is not something I'm really proud of, but it's a growing point. I remember there was a situation that happened right after I graduated from college. And I was, you know, going to be the assistant pastor, all these things. I'm learning to walk with the Lord. Have you ever done something where when you think about it, you, you audibly, you, you like cringe out loud? Maybe it's something you said at, uh, when you were in high school, even you're like, oh, that was so dumb. Why did I say that? You might be driving down the road all by yourself and you go, ugh. And no one would know what you're talking about, but you just remember the, the, the stupidity of that moment where it's just like, boy, insert foot in mouth, and you did it. Have we all been there before? Where we regret saying something? We regret the way we did something? Boy, I think there's a lot of truth to when the Bible says we should be slow to speech, slow to anger. There was a situation that I was in where there was just some, some people in my, lives that were, uh, that in my life that were found in sin, and it was a very hurtful thing. I had been lied to. Many people around me had been lied to, and I was upset. And when there was an opportunity to forgive, I forgave, but I went home angry for months. I don't want to say years, but it was probably a year or more that I harbored this ill will, this anger, this, this thought of, how could you do this to me, to, the, to these people? How could you? And it took a while for the thought to sink in, let every man think not of himself, but of others. I had a pride problem. I had a me problem. I had a problem where it was, I'm the one who was offended when I should do what Galatians 6.1 says. And so should you. And we'd, we'd be wise to note this. Look what it says. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness. Now let me tell you what meekness is. I heard a great definition in Bible college. It is throwing velvet-covered bricks. To break that down even further, it is strength held in reserve. You have the weight of the truth, but it's a soft landing. You're not going there to execute that person. 
You're not going there to make them feel so much shame because of what you know that they are now irredeemable with you. You've broken the fellowship. The relationship is ruined. Here's another good illustration. We are not to burn bridges with the body of Christ. That'd be the equivalent of your right hand burning your left for the sake of something the left hand did. How silly that would be. You hurt the body overall. Note what it says here. If a man be overtaken in a fault, they're caught up in sin so much that they have fallen, not from salvation, but they've fallen from their effectiveness in service. They are living in that sin. You which are spiritual, you who are walking with the Lord, you're doing things correctly. Note that verb, restore. Restore, not destroy, not eviscerate, not shame. They've got enough shame already. Restore such a one in the spirit, the attitude, the behavior of what? Meekness. There are two people described in Scripture as meek, Moses and Jesus. And Moses struck the rock when he was not supposed to. So Moses had the ability and did lash out in anger. He murdered an Egyptian, hit him in the sand, and then just dipped for 40 years. The spirit of meekness is not that you're upset with that person because of what they've done to you. You have removed yourself from the equation. What can I do to help you? This is how psychology should work. This is how a therapist should work. This is how brothers and sisters in Christ should, uh, should help one another. Look what it says. Restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself and how thou hast been offended. Is that what that says? Lest thou also be tempted. Hmm. You know what the truth of the matter is? My brother who's fallen, I could fall the same way. We all could. Whatever it is. So why not get down on their level, put the arm around them, and pick them up? Instead of putting them in a cage and, 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 and hanging them for the world to see. In shame. That's not what we're supposed to do. Talking about how we're supposed to treat the family, look in verse 2. We're to bear their burdens. Bear ye one another burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. This is the how you doing question. Okay, and we all ask this question, and then it's like a signal is jammed in our brains. You say, how you doing? And then it's like... Oh, that's great, man. All right, good to see you. You, li you really listening? <laughs> I honestly, and y'all will think I'm crazy when I say this, I wish we could have church every day. I really do. I wish there was a way that we could gather with one another and encourage each other at the end of every day, the beginning of every day. Churches that are in foreign countries where there's not a lot of cultural influence against that, they meet that way. You study some of the, the, the work that is being done in uh, Ethnos 360, formerly New Tribes. They have church every single day. And that doesn't mean they all come in their suits and ties and nice dresses. They don't put on their best. They put on what they're going to work in. They sing songs together. They pray with one another. 
they fellowship, and then they have that same spirit of going out and doing their work. Why? I think if we had that approach to church, instead of got to get my suit on, got to get my shoes shined, got to have everything looking good, because I'm going to church, man. I would rather you come in your street clothes with the right attitude than all dressed up with, a, with, 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 with the wrong intentions. It's not about how you dress when you come to church. Are you ready to bear one another's burdens? Are you ready to talk to your neighbor and listen? This is how we should treat one another in the family. You can let Galatians go. Go back now to 1 John 3. 1 John 3 and verse 11. The Bible tells us we are to love one another. 1 John 3, 11. For this is the message that ye have heard from the beginning that we should love one another. Not just in connection, as it says in verse 12, not as Cain, who was of that wicked one who slew his brother, and wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil, and his brother righteous. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. You don't love one another you are living in that very thing you've been delivered from. That is the equivalent of the slave going back into slavery as a choice and option. You've been made free. That's what the word redeemed means, by the way. To be set free. I will forever have that burned in my mind because it's the first Greek word you have to learn in Greek. <laughs> I will forever remember the, de the Greek definition for redeemed. It means to be bought out of the marketplace. You know what that means? Bought out of service. You're not being bought by somebody else to be sold again. You're taken out. You are looking outside of the marketplace now. You're free. You're free. We're to love one another. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 in verse 9. We are to labor with one another. This is also one of my favorite things to do. When we have work days with the guys, we come here, and we work on this property. By the way, I don't think this is just another piece of property. This is God-given property. This was sold to us. One dollar. Isn't that amazing? One dollar. This entire building is paid off. And the one back there, paid off too. Built in the 80s. When the guys come together and we work on this property, and I see people smiling, and we just had a Bible study done, when we go out soul winning and people are excited about getting, getting uh, people to the point of faith in Christ, I love that, man. That is, that is working, laboring with one another. And there was a problem in the Corinthian church. They were saying, well, I'm of Paul. Well, I'm of Apollos. Ooh, team Paul versus team Apollos. Oh, who's better? You're silly. You're carnal. We labor together. Who give it the increase? God. Like, we're out here saving people. Look what it says, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 9. For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. You are God's building. Look in verse 5. Who then is Paul and who is Apollos, but ministers by whom ye believe? These are just mouthpieces in which you heard the gospel, which is where the real message is, and you got saved. Even as the Lord gave to every man, I have planted... Paul speaking of himself, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. 
And as a matter of fact, you guys are doing the same work. Look what it says in verse 8. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according, according to his own labor. This is not a cult of personality. This is not a personality competition. Oh, I'm of Calvary. Oh, I'm of Westgate. Oh, cool. Let's just fight one another to see which church is better. It's not how it's supposed to go. We're supposed to link arms with one another. And you know the best way we can do that? By having the same gospel message. The same message. That's why I love, when, when you look at the map of the United States, I can put a pin where there are gospel clear churches. All around, I know at least middle America and the East Coast. The West Coast, not so much. And I kid you not, I, I've yet to find some clear churches over in California and in Washington State and Oregon. Well, I'd love to take one of y'all and train you and send you over there as a missionary. I really would. Do people need the Lord in Oregon? Do they need the Lord in California? Yeah. Now, they might be there. We just haven't discovered them. But I love that there's places everywhere. I'm glad that it's not, you got to come to Tampa, Florida. You got to travel here like, you're, like it's a, a pilgrimage. Come to Tampa to hear the gospel. There's a brother, Brother Brian Casey, Tom Kakuza's uh, brother in law or excuse me, son-in-law. He just started a church in Vero Beach. There's Randy Ford. Other people that are in other places of this state. You go all the way up, we've got Freddie Coyle in Georgia. No one that I know of in North or South Carolina. Then we got people in Illinois, we got people in Ohio, we got people all over the place. We all have one thing in common. We're sharing the gospel and we're sharing it clearly. And some people may hear the gospel in one ministry and get saved in another the one that they got saved in is not better than the one that they heard the gospel in the first place. We work together in these things. And the last one here is in 1 Corinthians 12, in verse 26. We are to rejoice and suffer together. First Corinthians chapter 12, in verse 26. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be mourned, all the members rejoice with it. I, I, I recall when Peter was in prison and then he was released and he's knocking on the door of the church, which by the way was a home. <laughs> and you know what they were all doing in there? I'm sorry, I get emotional when I think about this. They're praying for his release <laughs> and here he is at the door. I mean, they all got together, stopped what they were doing and the important thing was we pray for our brother and sister. I mean, why, why don't we do that? I think a lot of times there's a lot of a hollowness in the modern church. We say, yeah, I'll pray for you, and we never do. We don't really care about what people are going through, just what we're going through. That's why I said in the beginning of the message tonight, we're getting into some very deep and important things. This is how your life will be changed. And I know how my life has been changed by the application of these scriptures. And I want that, I want that for you. I really do. But I also understand it's going to take your own work You've got to do it yourself. And part of the reason why I'm emotional is because I'm happy because I know many of you that are here today, you want to take those steps. You are taking those steps, and I rejoice in that. And we're all doing this together until the Lord comes, and then we're going to really know what joy is. Amen? We'll be done with this world, and we'll be in the next one that lasts forever. We get to rule and reign with Christ for the thousand years. You know we're going to judge angels at some point? I wonder what that's going to be like. And then we see the great white throne judgment, probably the, the hardest period of time. So much so that the, the thoughts of that will have to be removed 
and then we'll be with the Lord forever. Forever. Why would we waste the opportunity we have now? I don't know. I know the world is very tempting. There's a huge pull. Is there not? There's a pull on you right now to do the things that just conform, conform, obey. Buy, sell, conform, obey. Just observe all the rules and don't question anything, just do it. We rejoice with one another. We suffer with one another. And then when they found out it was Peter at the door, they're like, God has answered our prayers. You know, many of them went to their deaths months later. It's been a blessing that we have not had to suffer much, but I'll tell you what, it's also a curse in some ways. We take things for granted. That we can be here tonight and worship freely. We should thank God for it because there's coming a time when that won't happen. Go back to First uh, John chapter 5 there. And um, listen as I read these notes to you. It's so easy to let sin come in between the fellowship of the body of Christ. There is instruction of discipline within the church, but it should be done with the goal to restore, not to destroy. Here's a quote from a commentary that says, Sin of whatever form is not to be tolerated within the disciple community, but it is to be dealt with when it is noticed. But it is to be done with sensitivity and with a minimum of publicity. And boy, that's not what's being done today. People find out you're in sin, the spotlight comes on you. So it's so hot you're sweating. As a father disciplines his children in private, so should we take care of one another when there is sin found, privately, with the goal to restore. Look in verse 2, and we'll read verse 3 at the same time here. By this we know, we're in 1 John 5 now, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. Notice the emphasis on keeping his commandments. Look in chapter 3 very quickly, verses 22 through 24. 1 John chapter 3, verse 22 through 24. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is the commandment, that we should believe on the name of the Son of Jesus Christ. Have you done that? If you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, you have something else to do, not for salvation, but to demonstrate God's love. Look what it says. And love one another as he gave us commandment. And he that keepeth his commandment dwelleth in him, and he in him. And hereby we know that he abideth in us by the Spirit which he hath given us. This ability that you have to love in the way that God's love is a direct effect of the power from the Holy Spirit that is within you. If you do not love one another, you are not abiding with the Lord. It has nothing to do with your salvation, but I can't look at you and say, you are walking in the Lord. You're not. You are walking against him. You are walking in the death in which you've been delivered from. So learn to love. Well, how do I do that? I just have a hard heart. It's calloused. Start thinking of yourself less, and those around you start thinking of them more. Is there anything that you wouldn't do for a brother or sister in need? And you need to be careful that you're not being taken advantage of, but at the same time, folks, we need to be there for each other. It's the model that we're commanded to do. Notice the emphasis on keeping his commandments and loving God. Loving God is not in word only. It is in deed. We love other Christians best when we obey God. 
Look in verse 3 of 1 John chapter 5 in verse 3. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not grievous. They're not heavy. They're not difficult. How is that? Because you've got the Spirit in you to do them, to carry them out. Hold your spot and look in Matthew chapter 11. The Gospel of Matthew over to the left there in chapter 11. In verses 28 through 30. I count myself blessed to be here with you tonight. I really do. What a, what a joy it is to just look verse by verse at the Scripture and compare Scripture with Scripture and see what we can learn. Matthew 11, in verses 28 through 30, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This is a call to salvation. Come unto me. He has borne our burden. We don't have to work for eternal life. There's no way we could. He did all the work. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Now this is discipleship. And learn from me. For I am meek and lowly in heart. And ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Why? Because the burden of earning our way to heaven by meeting the law has been cleared. With we don't have that anymore. <laughs> Man. I mean, we're, we're totally saved when we put our faith in Christ. It's done. We don't have to do one more thing. But now we have the opportunity to do that. Why wouldn't we? Our, his yoke is easy. His burden is light. Although it may require... We know for early church Christians, they lost their lives. But it was still an easy yoke to bear. They're not dying for nothing. They're not dying for the judgment to see if they did enough. They died because they knew there's nothing that man could do to take away what God has given them. Boy. Here's another quote from a commentary. You can go back to 1 John 5, 3. The reason why God's commandments are not heavy is because the power that comes with the new birth from God in the Holy Spirit. God command, God's commands are not the commands of a ruthless dictator. Boy, as a teenager, I had to be taught that because of the way that I saw church. You know, I was raised Southern Baptist. I don't know how many of you guys were raised in Southern Baptist, but particularly it's a lot of Just, just all the time, just yelling and screaming and a lot of really heavy people in the audience. And I mean physically, they were big people going, amen. I remember one time this guy was on the pew and I was like, all right, this guy's really motivated. But what ended up happening was you're just afraid. You're afraid. And the best way that you can kind of hide from your fear is just be really vocal like that. Like, oh, look at me. I'm excited about it too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you get into life and you start messing up because we're all sinners. And you think that God is like that pastor. He's looking at, he's trying to find a way to squish you. He just, he's like a ruthless dictator and you have to get in line or you'll be killed. That is not how God operates at all. How does he operate? His instructions are those of a loving father. Hold your spot here and go to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12 and verses 9 through 12. 
I'm going a little quickly, so pardon me if, if I'm there before you get there, but uh, just listen along. Furthermore, we have, had, we have had fathers of our flesh, which corrected us. And we gave them reverence, we respected them. Shall we not much more rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? What does he mean by the Father of spirits? The Father who disciplines you in spirit and you're going to be able to live longer in this life as you obey the Lord? This is not your earthly father disciplining you. This is your heavenly father disciplining you. Look at what it says here. Please get this, and I'm going to go slowly so we can. For they verily, speaking of our earthly fathers, for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he, capital H, he, God, for our spiritual profit. I know it doesn't say spiritual there, but this is for, he's, he's correcting us so that we can profit and be profitable, that we might be partakers of his holiness. That doesn't sound like someone that's angry at you. That doesn't sound like somebody who is just asking you to fall into line and not ask questions. This is the dad coming down on his knee and saying, son, I love you. Do these things because you love me. And I'm going to teach you. Now, no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous. And all those who, you, who have gotten a spanking with the belt, you can say amen. amen. But all of those who have also been corrected by the Lord, we also know how deep those things can hurt. Because they expose things that need to be brought to light. You can see David's prayer. David's prayer. If there be, search me, O Lord, try me. If there be any wicked way in me, lead me in the way of righteousness. That's a man that wants to be exposed so he can be more effective for the Lord. And we talk about a man like David who committed that sin with Bathsheba and then had Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, killed. And he lived life as though he had hidden it. And Nathan said, thou art the man. David knew the discipline, the chastening of his heavenly father. Yet he still said, search me, know me. If there's any wicked way, get it out. Not make it public. Get it out because I'm confessing it to you now so that I can be more effective for you, Lord. I want to obey you. No chasing for the present, back to the scripture, seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness, unto them which are exercised thereby. Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. Go back to 1 John chapter 5. What does he mean there by the hands that hang down and the feeble knees? This is the weakness that many children have experienced from, from abusive fathers. That they've been beaten to where they can't stand. That's not how God punishes us. Yes, it will be a deep cut, so to speak, but there is a, it is to help you stand upright, to walk forward a better person, a better witness for the Lord. In my notes here, I have, this, I have this plea. Oh, my brothers and sisters in Christ, learn the heart of God toward his children. He loves you. And now we'll conclude in verses 4 and 5 of 1 John 5. Excuse me. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. Amen. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. This is why I really don't have a problem with the term 
saving faith. I don't use it because the Calvinist uses it, but I can exercise faith. We're just, I was just talking to Jesse a moment ago. She was talking about how she was talking to a coworker and giving examples of faith. She says, you put your faith in your alarm clock every day. Do you not? You put your faith in that pew when you sat down. We exercise faith in every area of our lives. We get on the road and we have faith that other people won't be as silly as we think they might be. We exercise faith in our marriages. It's not faith that saves you. It's faith in Christ, the object of our faith. And that is the circle that's being drawn here. Read it again in verse 1. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Read verse 5. Who is he that overcometh the world but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? See how he's completed the circle? I skipped verse 4 there. For whatsoever is born of God, that's you if you put your faith in Christ, overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. I'm an overcomer. I'm more than a conqueror. Not because of anything that I've done, but because of the one I put, I put my faith in. Notice the pattern here. Have you believed on Christ? then you've overcome the world. How does one overcome? By faith in Jesus Christ, the promised Messiah, the substitutionary sacrifice for the world. John closes the circle that was started in verse 1. Here's the pattern. Verse 1, believe that Jesus is the Christ. Verse 2 through 3, obey God's commands. Verse 4, you've overcome the world. Verse 5, because you have believed on Jesus. I want you to pay attention to, verses, or to the second and third step Obey God's commands, and you have overcome the world. The number one thing that will stop you from obeying God's commands is as you choose to obey the world. That's the whole Christian life. I'm not a licensed counselor, and I don't seek to be one, but I do know the Bible, and I always tell people this. You have a choice. You're either going to obey God, or you're going to disobey Him. That's the choice, and people, some people hate that. They want a big PhD explanation. They want me to psychoanalyze them. I'm not here for any of that. It's black and white. You're either going to obey or you're not going to obey. You obey, this will happen. And now we can get into specifics. You obey in your marriage. You obey in how you treat other believers. You obey in your responsibilities that God has given you. I can give you now express examples of what the outcomes will be. I can also tell you if you disobey, I can't give you specifics, but I will give you a guarantee you will be disciplined. And there are some things that people in this church, as deacons and elders and staff workers, they do these things, and we have to discipline them. Not because we hate them, but because we love them and God has instructed it. There are certain things that if I do while I'm in the pulpit here, in, in the leadership, disqualify me from ministry. Absolutely. And I need to know those things and make a choice. Obey God or disobey Him. And when that verses 2 and 3 say obey God's command and verse 4 says you've overcome the world, this is a reminder when you're tempted to do what the world says. You know, in many cultures, specifically Spanish cultures, it is acceptable for the man to have relations outside of his marriage. That's acceptable in many, many cultures in the world. God says it's not so. 
So who are we going to obey? You got a young man who has his culture saying it's okay. He's got his flesh pointing him in that direction. But he's got God telling him what to do. That man has a decision. And he has to make a choice. And the choice that he makes, God will reward accurately. When we meet again next week, Lord willing, <clears throat> we'll start to look at the law of the two witnesses. Great stuff here. And I, I would probably guess we have three, maybe four more messages to go through First John. But I'll want you to go ahead and close your Bible. And I hope this has been a benefit to you. I, I really do. And I know sometimes you guys see <clears throat> me get emotional and I very quickly bring it together. That's for a reason that I bring it together quickly because if I were to think about it long enough, I would not be able to continue. I absolutely want you to know that everything that proceeded from the mouth of God is good for you. But I have seen too many times in my ministry experience, and folks, I don't have a lot of ministry experience. I've only been doing this seriously for about 12 years. That's not a lot, but I've seen a lot of people go on the faith of somebody else and they don't make it. And that breaks my heart because they're bitter and they're angry with God when somebody didn't teach them in the beginning. You've got to make these decisions for yourself. You have to choose to walk with the Lord, not leaning on somebody else's faith to do it. And when we see people that are walking with the Lord, we should be sensitive to get right up alongside them and help them through it. Help them through it. The world already has enough against you. Why would we want to come against one another in the same body? We call that cancer in the human body, and we do everything to get rid of it. But then we, we become cancer in the church. Shame on us when we think that way. And the only way that changes is by rightly dividing the word of truth, and then applying it. So ultimately, I want to encourage you. Study that book. What we studied tonight, go over and, and, and do what the cows do. Chew that thing, man. Chew it. I'm not going to tell you what else they do with it, but, you know, they got all those stomachs for a reason. You can Google it. <laughs> but they chew and they chew and they chew to get more nutrients and more nutrients. That's how we should be looking at the word of God. What can I learn? What can I learn? And be honest with the Lord. Lord, teach me. I want to learn. And he will teach you. But you got to obey. You got to obey. And we saw it very clearly. Obedience is loving one another. We love the lost by reaching them with the gospel. And some people do that great, but they have no idea how to love one another in the church. You really growing? You really doing good for the body? Let this hand represent you and me and my Wallet represents sin. I put this on top of my hand because the Bible says, for all of sin and come short of the glory of God. God, he loves us, hates this sin because it separates us from him. You've got to be perfect to get to heaven. We all fall short. That's why we're called sinners, myself included, folks. Just because I'm the pastor of the church doesn't mean I have more or less. I've still got it. I've still got sin. The wages of sin is death, eternal separation from God forever. God loves us so much that he's willing to pay that price for us, which is not good works. There's no amount of good works that could ever save us. This hand will represent Jesus Christ, God's only begotten Son. And we can see in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world 
that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. What does that mean? For God so loved the world, that's you and me, that he gave his only begotten son, that's Jesus Christ, that whosoever, again, you and me, anybody in the world, believeth in him. It's faith in Christ that what he did on the cross was sufficient for your sins. Should not perish. God now sees you as righteous. You're given the righteousness of God. You're fully justified. But should have everlasting life. We have a permanent fellowship with the Lord now. Now, the quality of that fellowship is going to be determined about how we live this life. And that's where my burden is for the, for the people of God to learn what it is to love God, to obey him. And that covers every aspect of the Christian life. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. If you're on the internet uh, and this made sense to you, maybe you put your faith in Christ for the first time tonight, it all clicked and made sense, I want to pray for you and ask you to let us know. Leave a comment, send an email. That'd be a great encouragement to us. Those of you in the audience, if it made sense tonight that all you have to do to get saved is put your faith in the finished work of Christ, I want to pray for you. Would you raise your hand and let me know? Anyone before we close? Heads are bowed and eyes are still closed. I, I want you to pour over 1 John 5, 1 through 5 and see the truth of the scripture there. Father, thank you for another opportunity that we have to come together and fellowship with good singing and then getting into your word. Pray for the Iwana program and thankful for all the children that are here tonight. And we also ask, Lord, that you bless us as we head back to our homes and our communities in which we talk to people about you. Bring us back here safely on Wednesday night for the prayer meeting. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. If you enjoyed today's episode of Bible Line, make sure to subscribe to the channel and share this video with a friend. Do you have a Bible question? Send us an email, questions at BibleLineMinistries.org, and we'll do our best to get you an answer. Or you can leave your question in the comments of this video. Be sure to check the links in the description for more clear Bible teaching. Bible Line is a ministry of Calvary Community Church located in Tampa, Florida.